Hello, good evening, and welcome to the latest episode of The Game is About Glory. I'm your host, THFC Steph, and tonight we will look back on what happened at Elland Road yesterday between our, I don't know, not really mighty anymore, Tottenham Hotspur and Leeds United. The game did end in a 3-1 defeat, and just because I would like to do this, I'm going to throw in a quick story about uh, a time I went to Elland Road many years ago and a black cat crossed my path as I got to the ground. It was dead. We lost 5-0. Cantona scored a hat-trick. And uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, where was I? That's right. Elland Road. Uh, we we're going to look back at what happened at Elland Road. Uh, sorry for that little jog down memory lane. And then in light of our new kit being worn for the final home game of this season, or so we are told, we thought that we'd take a look back at our favourite team shirts over the decades. And we're going to look at the ones we liked, what we didn't, the brands we've worked with. We'll discuss design templates because that's that's the kind of guys that we are. Uh, we discuss design and fashion like every other red-blooded male, right? <laughs> the brands we've worked with, we'll discuss design versus template, sponsors versus taste, and the legend of full kit wankery. And I will be pinning Milo, Gareth, and Awesome Dawson. Hello, guys. Oh, yeah. Evening. Morning, Steph. I'm going to be pinning you to that very important question, and I will expect honesty. Uh, so we're going to have some 100% recycled earth-safe polyester fun later on in the show. Before we get started, we've got a small favour to ask. If you listen to the pod on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, you'll be doing us an enormous favour if you could spend five minutes on leaving us a review. Actually, fears, five seconds would be great. Just leave us a review. It would be wonderful. It really helps spread the word about this pod helps pick up new listeners and helps the Games About Glory family get bigger and bigger, as it is every week. Now, we've already met tonight's team, so I'm just going to steam right into it. And I'm going to go to you, Gareth, with this question. What's the strangest place you've ever watched or listened to a Spurs game? On TV or radio, in the flesh, they all count. It's just about odd. Okay, well, I, th I think odd for me was watching the Champions League final in the back room of a golf club at a wedding that I happened to be going to that day. Now, that story didn't sound that remarkable, apart from the fact it was my wedding day and um, everything had been timed around the fact that we could get a TV on in the back room. And in fact, I'd spent the final 24 hours of the preparation of the wedding um, ringing a Sky engineer to make sure they could come around and realign the satellite dish of the venue. I happened to, I did go in there um, as the game kicked off. And then 25 seconds later, I was out again cutting the cake. I've got to ask you, was that, so that was post penalty. You saw the penalty and you're like, sod it, I'm going to cut the cake. Pretty, pretty, pretty much, yeah. Everything had been, we'd, we'd rushed through the meals and the speeches getting done to go in there. I knew the game kicked off. I rushed in there. Um, Liverpool had the ball go, um, at the ball went into the area. The penalty was given. I stormed out, and yeah, and we were ready to cut the cake and do the first dance. And I don't think I watched another minute of it. Would the cake and first dance have been delayed until the first goal? Um, well, not for our first goal, they wouldn't have been. <laughs> it was uh, yeah. Okay. Gareth, can I suggest that you renew your vows on Champions League final day in 2023? <laughs> it's our best chance of getting to the final again, I think. So. I, yeah, I, I, I think agree. that's probably I, I, fair, yeah. <laughs> well, he's he's risen his head above the parapet. He's steamed in with a question. And so it's only appropriate that, Milo, you now can answer the oddest mm. place, strangest place. Strangest place. Well, you've ever watched or listened to a Spurs game? Listen to, say, December this year, so the North London Derby. My son was in A&E and 
that only one parent was allowed in. So I was pacing up and down, up and down outside, uh, nervous about the state of my son and nervous about um, the state of Tottenham Hotspur, listening to the North London derby on my on my phone. So that that one kind of sprung to mind. I suppose the other one after the um, FA Cup final in '91, about, about a month, six weeks later. Um, I saw Spurs in an exhibition game against Canterbury City in Canterbury with, uh, <laughs> it, it was, and there was a, so, oh, who was in the team? David Howells played. I'm trying to think who else was in the team. So it was a bit of a, a strange one that, yeah, six weeks after, um, after we, after we won the cup playing, you know, very, very, very far down the ladder and, you know, a handful of, a handful of, uh, kind of first team players in that. So yeah, that's the other one that springs to mind. A uh, a Chaucer approved fixture, no doubt. Uh, we can safely say awesome. Uh, well, I, look, I, I expect something uh, spectacular from you, you global traveller. So uh, <laughs> he's going to say that he watched a game once on his phone in Wapping. That's what's coming, <laughs> isn't it? So. <laughs> You're off on the right line. It was. Um, I have watched a lot of games on my phone, to be honest. It wasn't in Wapping though. I'm weighing up between um, watching. I think it was Tottenham Borough FA Cup. On, on a bus between um, Baltimore and New York using, um, I guess, not such a legal streaming device. And the, and the Wi-Fi on the bus was so bad that my, um, my better half let me uh, use her hotspot, which probably drained her data quite badly. But I think even that's probably not the most ridiculous. I've watched I've watched a game once in a service station in um, in Patagonia, but I'm going to have to admit it wasn't Tottenham. I think it was Chelsea Liverpool, and there was only two colours on the TV, and it wasn't even black and white. <laughs> it was green and yellow, so I couldn't tell what was going on. It was proper old TV, not flat screen in a service station. I was like, what am I doing here? But it was a good game and uh, I somehow managed to get engrossed. And then the fight and the struggle, of course, to find somewhere in the town that you're in. And I've had it in Mexico before where you're just trying to find one place that is showing your game. And it's usually, you know, there was a Nike advert for, I think, the 98 World Cup, which is stuck in my head forever. And it's a boy gets a stake out of the fridge and rubs it all over the ball rubs the blood is on the ball and it's it's some sort of i don't know if it's um it's central or south american meant to be sort of favela area and he just puts the ball down outside the back of his house he whistles and the dogs just chase him and the ball and i've been in so many situations trying to catch a feed of the game the other side of that alleyway in some like you know cantina or whatever and the fans blowing slowly and the guy's just not interested and then if he does there's more snow on the picture it's insane so i empathize with that it does test but, uh... our global brand um <laughs> awareness doesn't it but if you think about it you know when i when i if you are in somewhere like argentina and you ask they know who tottenham are in argentina yeah because of our history and you know, in Brazil, yeah. even we've had a lot of, and around the world, it would happen. There's very few places in the world where you ask them to switch the channel as long as you've got the language skills and, and they can find the channel because we're often buried in some cable TV, you know, yeah. worse a region on channel channel 247 or something. But they, they can find it normally. It's uh, yeah. Premier League is readily available. I'll round off by just saying, I think I've already said the oddest. I mean, there's been many odd places I've watched a game. I think probably the, the oddest that I've seen in the flesh was uh, was at the Wanda Stadium uh, the same day that Gareth is getting married because I just could not believe that I was attending a Champions League final that involved that involved my 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 club it was it was astonishing and it, it was breathtaking and 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 still it was so surreal it was such a surreal thing and so it was that was really strange it was strange uh, to me but the other strange thing was watching uh, the Gaza semi-final a few days later 
on a on in the back lounge of a of a napalm death tour bus way back in 1991. But uh, I've told that story, <laughs> so let's move on to stories that none of us have uh, told, which are our emotions and feelings, our feelings, gentlemen, on the game at Elland Road against Leeds United. I think it's worth starting with the lineup. I'm going to throw the lineup question at Gareth. What did you think of the lineup? I thought it made sense to stick with the same eleven that had played so well against Sheffield United. Um, we felt that that was a that was a team that could maybe take us through the rest of the season. In hindsight, I think um, Bielsa got one over on Mason. I think he knew how to exploit the gaps that the not so much the personnel, but I think the system that we adopted was um, was going to present for him. Yeah, I mean, look, I I I don't blame Ryan Mason for picking the same eleven. I, there were there were no red flags that initially rose with me, so so without the benefit of of hindsight, I had no issues with it. Awesome. Let me ask you. I mean, in hindsight, and this is you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's so easy, so on and so forth. Discuss Bale's selection to start. I mean, when you look back, do you think maybe perhaps against a Bielsa pressing side, maybe not the smartest? I don't know. You you tell me what you think. Having just scored a hat-trick, I don't think you could drop him. But yeah, with the hindsight, maybe we should have expected for um, him to be one of the, the weaker links in terms of a high-pressing team. I don't think you can drop a guy after he scored a hat-trick. No, I would, I would have picked him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I think most of us would have done that. What puzzled me is that Mason had obviously been aware of this before because if you think about our, um, our cup final lineup, he dropped bail for that. And I think that was primarily because he was concerned about City's pressing. So, yeah, it is something that um, he, he's obviously been mindful of before. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, and Milo, and this is something that uh, we actually weren't going to get into immediately, but I think it's worth bringing up right now. I mean, do you think that Mason is playing somewhat of a psychology game with these remaining games of the season where he's maybe sticking with players to build, rebuild confidence mm. for them, give them confidence, maybe even have them in some way try to play themselves into some sort of match fitness for what's coming in the summer for the Euros? I don't know. I mean, is he basically showing faith to certain players or is he, you know, do you think he's very, very, you know, just picking the best side he can? A bit of both, I think. I think there's probably, coming immediately to mind, I think there are three factors here. Um, firstly, I think Ryan Mason probably thinking about his future career a bit as well. So the, uh, you know, having a better, you know, decent uh, run of results here will do him no harm in the long run and possibly put him in the shop window for a championship or, you know, club at some point in the future, hopefully not too soon. Um, so I think that's going to be a factor. I think he's also trying to heal a team that has been through the ringer a bit this last couple of years. And certainly, you know, kind of the chopping and changing that we saw under Mourinho and um, players finding themselves out in the cold after, you know, a mistake or two, um, I think took its toll. And I think he's trying to make good for that. And I suppose the other thing is, is that with limited time on the training field, coming in mid-season, I think he probably is also playing it safe a bit and trying to pick some of, you know, he's, he's picking the best 11 players probably, isn't he? Or, you know, the, the most experienced 11 players. I, I thought Jack um, Pitbrook made an interesting point where he was saying that also this is, maybe this is a transition from Mourinho to a new manager in the summer. And it might have been too much to do that in one step. So that as a bridge between the two, a halfway house, maybe that also makes sense. So, you know, that could be a factor as well. Bridge <laughs> over troubled waters. Awesome, I'm coming to you. With a question, actually, mate, about Reggie, uh, which is not in our notes, but it suddenly sprung <laughs> to mind as a, a point of, uh, of, of, of 
imbued with uh, enthusiasm for this question. And I think it is going to be a systemic one in terms of what we discuss. But I'd like you to tell me what you thought of Reggie's performance yesterday. Unfortunately, he hasn't been good for a while. He was one of a majority of players that just didn't have a good game against Leeds. The pace is still there, obviously. I still think he's our best crossing fullback. He, he seems to have lost his uh, defensive head in terms of positioning and he, you know, he's not alone there. You know, he's incredibly young and Leeds were well drilled that day and, and exploited our weaknesses. I've got, I've got no worries about going forward next season with, with Reggie in, in, in the starting 11. He's not on form. Yeah, I, I thought he was decent against Southampton and um, Sheffield United. I thought he, I thought his, like the first two league games for uh, Mason, he'd, he'd done a lot better. But I think what was key there is he'd been playing in the opposition half a lot more. So um, he had less ground to cover. And, you know, we talked before about how his pace seems to have dropped off a little bit since the late, latest injury. And with Leeds playing as they did, they pushed him back a lot more. And he's he's a lot less effective around our box than he is around the opposition box. Gareth, I'm going to go to you and I'm going to talk about the first two goals, which I think are probably the ones that we can quite safely say switch the game on its head. I mean, coming as they did, Bamford's coming right before half time. I bought up the Reggie question because I felt it was pertinent to the uh, systemic breakdown of our defence in both goals. Eric Dyer is having uh, the finger pointed at him for for the first two um, and I guess even the third albeit he was caught it was a breakaway. You know I'm going to just leave this observation and then ask you for yours. I noticed early in the move for the Bamford goal that Eric Dyer is looking at Hoybier and asking him and saying, do you have him? Are you picking him up? I'm looking for where Reggie is. I don't know where, I don't know what Reggie's doing. He's floating in space. And the next thing we see is Hoybier has not tracked that run, but neither has Eric Dyer anticipated that that run might be made. So what's your take on that situation? And, and, on a wider scale, what's your take on Eric Dyer at this point? I mean, we, he's becoming a weekly conversation point. Let's get into it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid he is. I would probably caveat that by saying that I don't know that any of the alternatives are any better than him. So as much as we can talk about, well, he shouldn't be in the team, who do you put back in there? Because we know that Sanchez has got an error in him. Um, Roden is inexperienced and by nature will probably make mistakes as well. I mean, I actually thought Dyer was at fault for twice for the second goal, one for not dealing with the first, the, the long ball in which you would expect him to get some good de- some good distance on the header on, um, and then for not picking up Bamford. But what I thought Leeds did did really well was they exploited the spaces just in front of our fullbacks. So that wasn't the first, or those two goals weren't the only two incidents where you suddenly found that they had two or three players and there was very quick interplay in and around our fullback and then between one of our centre-halves to create scenarios. So perhaps this comes back to that first question around the systemic failures of that 11 in having wide players in more advanced areas that were really going to come back up and double up and help our fullbacks out in those mm. positions. Because I, I've, I've not watched Leeds enough to know whether this is something they do every week or whether this was something they specifically targeted against us. But certainly if I was a team that was playing against Spurs at the moment, knowing that we would play Sun and Bale in those wide positions, I'd be doing just as Arsenal did as well back in March. It's let's get the ball into the final third and let's get it in and around their fullbacks and mm. let's see what joy we can get from there. So really, it was a bit of a percentage game. They scored two goals from fairly similar positions. And I think Ryan Mason did suggest that we did fix that in the second half, but by which time it was probably too late and the game had changed by then. Goals coming from that um, from our right-hand side has been an issue under the last two managers as well. This isn't new. 
So that space in front of Aurier, well, it's been a problem since Walker's gone, hasn't it, really? Yeah. Well, the only the only time that we've really alleviated that problem was when Sissoko was in the team, specifically to babysit the right back. Mm. And since he's not been in the team and he hasn't fulfilled that role, or at least there hasn't been someone else fulfilling mm. that specific role, we've looked really vulnerable. Mourinho tried to tackle it as well, didn't he, by playing the uh, fullbacks tighter. So when towards the end of Poch's time, we saw a lot of goals with balls coming over from the right, our right-hand side. And then the space between the left centre back and Danny Rose being exploited. And that was a real problem. When Mourinho first came in, he tucked the fullbacks in tighter. To, and we, we saw less aerial goals against us for a period then. But then that obviously the, the problem came back in a slightly different way later on. But um, yeah, it's been an issue for a while. That, that, I think that combination of a, a weak right back and no natural uh, left centre back means the ball from there. And then no one to 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 clear it. Um, it's just a persistent problem. Every every team we come up come up against exploits it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Trippier for a while covered uh, mm. a, a fair few multitude of sins uh, simply because I mean whether you like him or not, or whether you did like him or not, and I think we all felt in the last in his last season at the club he probably was uh, responsible for more than he was mm-hmm. not. But he always always had an engine, and he always put his shift was incredible, and you never felt that. I'd take him over either of the two we've got at the moment. A hundred percent. And you'd never, ever, ever doubt his no. commitment to, to, to the cause. You'd never doubt his commitment to the cause. He threw himself into it. Oh, we'll have to discuss one day why we think he went. That still remains actually one of the most mysteriously quick and, and, and really, you consider how long Levy held on to players that we didn't want for, for bigger fees. I mean, suddenly he's out the door for mm. 20 million and you're thinking, hang on, he's just played in the Champions League final. Mm. We should be getting... Anyway, back to Leeds. Back to Leeds and back to the fact that we have as you know, we've struggled against the high press sides for, for we've struggled against that for a while now. Even in in the you know, even under Poch we would have trouble with that. You know, what do we need to put that right? Ball playing centre backs, a keeper like Edison. I mean, at one point Hugo was the sweeper keeper, but he's just been usurped and upended and so on. So who wants to come in on that? Larissa has never been good with the ball at his feet, though, has he? He was a sweeper keeper in that he was very quick off his line. Yeah, I, I think you know if you look at so if we look at the City PSG games when PSG were playing well, they were they were able to beat the press by firstly great movement and having players available, being able to pass it across the back of the uh, back of defence and and back to the keeper and midfielders dropping and making themselves available, so that there was always a pass on and that just isn't isn't the case with Spurs is it so you know we've got midfielders who who don't make themselves available or aren't, aren't comfortable taking the ball on the on the turn and centre-backs who aren't the best at passing certainly short passing I think both Dyer and Eldeviroeld are probably good over distance but not great uh, you know over shorter distances and and Lloris is, you know isn't comfortable with the you know, ball, ball to feet and, and passing it around so and fullbacks who've got mistakes in them so all told it's just it's exactly what you don't want with people closing you down quickly <laughs> when, uh, well when you map it out like that it's absolutely disastrous it's incredible we don't let in six goals a game but uh, anyway someone else come in and someone else come in on that Bielsa would have been licking his lips against uh, our, our lineup. We were there for the taking with that, with his sort of ideal tactics of manic pressing, higher fitness levels. Unlikely that Bale's going to be doing more than his uh, bare minimum in terms of tracking back. We, we were a sitting duck, really. Maybe the press-resistant player that 
could have played, and I think you know we we discussed this around uh, the cup final as well. Is Undembele is comfortable taking the ball under pressure. He is comfortable rolling a man and and, and breaking forwards and relieving pressure. Um, he seems to be out of favour at the moment. I think the the word is is that the coaching staff weren't happy with how he performed against Southampton. But he is he is a player who can do that. Awesome. I think nailed nailed it really by talking about Bielsa. I think we do need to acknowledge the fact that this was a 29 year old manager in his fourth competitive game coming up against a bloke who's been managing since before he was born. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you said sitting ducks probably is is a reasonable is a reasonable summary of it. Bielsa's drilled leads to within an inch of their life physically, haven't we? So mm-hmm. whereas against Southampton we grew into the game when they tired. Leeds weren't gonna tire. They was they were running as much in the eighty ninth minute as they were in the first minute. So I think that, that really went against us as well. And I just felt that we lacked control. I always felt Leeds were in control of the game. I always felt they were one step ahead. They always knew what they were going to do and they always knew what we were going to do and they got there before us on every occasion. They looked like they had an extra player, didn't they? It felt like that. I also wonder if that much rumoured exchange of information between Poch and Bielsa when Mason was a was a young Spurs player where he said, here, would you take a look at a photo of his legs and tell me if you think there's a player in there? It's probably all sorts of information that Bielsa's got on Ryan Mason <laughs> that we don't know. But uh, yeah, in fairness, um, he, he is he, he is a, a, a special coach mm. and, and, and a special presence in the English game for sure and in mm. the world game. I mean, it should be said. I do want to stick with the offside uh, for a second. We've talked about it. I don't think there's much more to be said about it. You know, as you say, it's a game of millimetres and, you know, we've all had our discussions, you know, in threads and so on about offsides and where they're taken from. It is what it is. It was definitely a momentum changer. There's no doubt. But more than just fixating on that, I do want to talk a little bit about the fact this is Deli Ali's second uh, game playing back in the spot that I think we've all seen his best football for for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. I felt that his uh, renaissance continued. I felt that he looked, at least for the first 40 minutes, like he was absolutely right there and dialed in. And I just felt the the promise was bristling. Um, And it was so unfortunate that that goal got chalked off because, of course, it would have been his second assist of the game. So anyone want to come in on Delhi and his performance? I think he's um, he's, he's, uh, he's due... A handful of games, you know, maybe four or five to get up to match fitness. Uh, it seems like a statement of intent by Mason that he's, he's putting him in the starting 11, um, in consecutive games. Yeah. I, I think he was, he was pretty good. That assist got a nice little, uh, ricochet on its way through to some, but it was a very good assist. Um, and it's, it's nice to see him back in the team. Yeah. No, I, I really like the fact that he's getting a regular run of games, or it looks like he's going to get a regular run of games as well. And I think you could see yesterday with the, what another day would have been two assists that you're starting to see the value he brings to the team. I mean, the other, the other thing I think just to bear in mind is that when we had Deli Ali at his best in, what should we say, 2017, there was also a time when you had Pete Moussa Dembele, Pete Christian Eriksen, Pete Carl Walker, and Pete Danny Rose in and around him as well. So I think you've got to look at the quality of players that were playing alongside him at the time um, and how established those players were in a very formulaic system, which we haven't got at the moment. And I think the type of player that Deli Ali is, he will rely on having some, I don't want to say functional players, but players who are part of that um, system around him that can really get the best out of him. And at the moment, I, I think that whatever team we put around him, yes, Harry Kane's still there and there's still some, and, you know, Sonny's still there and there's some good players there, but it's not quite the same established feel that there was when he was fantastic under Poch. Yeah, good point. We have discussed Bielsa's press. 
We have discussed the fitness of Bielsa's leads and it is time to question our fitness. Uh, we were, for several years, one of the fittest sides in the Premiership. Some would say it cost us on the injury front because we, you know, bish bash bosh those players into the ground. I would say that international tournaments didn't help and we're often a victim of our own success in having nine players at the World Cup semi-finals. I don't know if any other club actually had that. You know, the continuous football wasn't just uh, yeah, from us. The physical pressure wasn't just from us. But we've gone in a retrograde now, haven't we, guys? Milo, it's a retrograde situation. And, and, and why don't you discuss why you think it is that we're now a side that can be, you know, kind of just like steamrolled in the last like 15 minutes of games? It's the Mourinho hangover, isn't it? I think we saw the same thing happened at Manchester United and uh, Solskjaer's spoken about this, about how, you know, he inherited a team that wasn't very fit. And certainly if you look at the pressing, you know, the kind of the miles covered by um, United players, um, it dropped significantly when Mourinho took charge and has slowly climbed in the in the season since he left. And I suspect that we'll see the same. And that's not the kind of thing that you can fix in, you know, in a few weeks. It's going to take a pre-season to sort out and um, it's going to be a pretty hard pre-season as well, isn't it? And I think probably if we want to see us return to a team that um, is playing, you know, kind of high intensity football, I think we probably need to see a bit of churn in the squad as well, because that's a game for younger legs. Yeah, can't can't disagree with any of that. I, th- I think it's also worth pointing out that when we played that really high intensity football and when we were covering more ground than any other team and doing more sprints than any other team, although it sounds a pretty simple concept, it was a bit of a competitive advantage at the time. Mm. And I think other teams have caught up to that now. So yeah. I don't think just saying let's match the running and the intensity levels that we had in, in 2016 would necessarily get us to the same point that we were at were at then. I mean, I think I think you covered it all within that answer. But the the devil's advocate response to our low intensity levels will be that yeah, injuries have been pretty minimal yep. this year, and but you know, and perhaps there are some there is some merit in in, in that style of physical training. But you could see the downsides of it yesterday. That was a... Well, and, and in results. And in results. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good point about how we had a competitive advantage. I mean. Poch was, you know, the first to do it here. Um, obviously, Klopp uh, came in and did something similar, but both Klopp and Pochettino um, had adjusted that. Um, you know, by the time Poch had left, the intensity of our play was, you know, a lot less than it was when he first arrived. And Klopp has done similar as well, hasn't he? So, it, um, I think you're right. Let's not have it all one way. I mean, let's look at the. I mean, let's just let's be honest. Looking at the table, we are above Leeds by by a, a fair few points. So, and the way this season is going to end, Leeds are going to finish. I suspect, below us. So regardless of our slow coach and whatever, we're still going to finish above them. Uh, So it's not, you know, one thing you would say with BL society is that sometimes they do, they they do pay for their over physicality. But I think, I think for our style of play and for the players we have is, is where the fitness really becomes an issue because when you've got skilled players like we have, they need to be sharp and they have been let down on that front. I think by the, by the, uh, by the training, regimen the point i was going to make about leeds is that leeds are more than the sum of their parts aren't they so you know you talk about league position that's slightly unfair when you think about the quality of players that we've got compared to leeds they're a really finely tuned machine all those players know their role in the system and play it to a t and that's not the case with us we're starting to look a bit like spurs were pre-poch in that we're an okay team with a handful of stars well that's absolutely where we're at we need to go back to being 
um, more than some of our parts. I'll toss this in very quickly. Uh, would you have Bielsa if it was an option? He wouldn't be my first choice. I can't imagine him working with Levy very well, can you? It would be fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd give it a go for a season. I'd give it a go for a week. It'd be like when he was at Lazio. <laughs> Uh, one more comment on the game uh, that I just want to address before we close the conversation off on the 3-1 defeat at Leeds uh, yesterday. You know, Mason did go to a plan B. He did take off flair. He did replace it with pace and, and attitude and, and, you know, all the things that we have attributed to Lucas Moura and Eric Lamella. What did you think of that change? I mean, did you think it made any difference? Did you prefer us before that change? Give me your thoughts. Um, ultimately, I didn't feel there was much difference in it other than that it was a couple of pairs of fresh legs. Um, I thought Bale was, the, the, the game just passed him by from about half an hour onwards. And the, you know the fact that we just couldn't get control of the ball meant that he was always going to be fairly, um, fairly irrelevant in it. I mean, as we said, and Dombele felt like in hindsight that he might have been a better choice than Lacelso. I know I'd flagged up quite early on that I thought Lacelso had been anonymous in the game. Um, so perhaps if he, if Dombele had come on half an hour earlier, we might have seen something different. But so I, I don't think that would have been through anything systemic. I think that would have been through through personnel. I always like to see a bit of Lamella, but um, yeah, it wasn't. A, it, I think it was a fitness-related uh, double substitution. It was, it was. We were looking tired. Those two are good at what they do, which is to come on and chase and harry and create chaos. But um, it was. It wasn't working either. Yeah, it's not surprising, is it? I mean, Bale and, and Delhi haven't played a lot of football this season, so you can understand that. I mean, Norse for that matter. So you can understand it from that point of view. I wonder whether one of Mora, Lamella or Bergwin would have been a better choice than Bale to start. But, you know, we touched on that earlier on. I agree with Gareth, it didn't change much. Let's round off discussion about the Leeds game uh, with, you know, a little review of what happened around us. Uh, we lost three points on Chelsea and Liverpool. Everton gained three points on us. Uh, they're a point behind us now with the game in hand. Leicester and West Ham both lost. I mean, we can't say that we haven't had, you know, the potential for good fortune uh, in this sort of weird stumbling to the finish line, which leaves us thinking we might yet make Champions League. Uh, Milo put together a table which shows, you know, the maximum possible points and, and so on. I mean, there's still, it's still possible if results go our way that we could trip over the line <laughs> and finish ahead of Leicester, which is what it will be. But more than likely is we're going to end up in the uh, in the tournament that I know Milo has done a lot of research on. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so, is uh, all right, guys, is Europe still on? Yes. Yeah, Europe's still on. Top four, no, but Europe, yes. Which Europe next? Come on, are we talking Are we talking Euro- Champions League, Europa League, or Europa, Europa Conference thingamabobber league? There's quite a lot of factors in play here, Steph, and you keep me up nicely. So... <laughs> So, um, so how many places there are in the league depends on what happens in the cup final and you know Leicester have got a really tough run of games so Chelsea actually for that matter so the FA Cup finalists could easily both find themselves outside the top four we need to win our next two, don't we? We keep on saying we need to win our next three, our next four. Yes, absolutely. We can't afford to lose another point. I mean, I've thought that Europa League was more likely for for ages. In these notes, I've been putting in, you know, what are our chances of Europe? And then everyone's been talking about Champions League and I've been talking about Europe, right? I mean, Europa League for, for, for months. So, oh, Gareth, Gareth's got a oh. spreadsheet. Oh, 
Gareth, Gareth got a spreadsheet. has got a spreadsheet. Breaking news. We're looking at a spreadsheet from Gareth. Hang on. Hang on, Steph. He's raised the stakes here. He's used colour. Oh, my. This is throwing me off my stride. I don't know what to do with this. There's all these colourful numbers and names. Gareth, explain this. Explain it to us. What are we looking at? I'm committing the Cardinals in a podcasting, aren't I, by providing a visual that we're now talking about. We can... But this is... This is like radio for for our listeners. So let's let's give them the the guide as to what we're seeing. Bring us through this as a visual, as though as though you're describing a goal. Yeah. So what um, what we're looking at at the moment is a um, breakdown of the teams from third place through to eleventh place, uh, which is Chelsea through to Aston Villa now. Um, with the number of points they've got at the moment, um, their goal difference, which could be significant. The number of games they have to play, which for most teams, well, except for Liverpool and, um, and Everton, oh, and Villa, is, um, is three games. The other, those three have got four games left. And then you've got a breakdown of the fixtures that they've got on the dates they've got. So you can see the, sort of the chronology of fixtures and how it might work out. So um, you can see, for instance, that Liverpool play Man United on Thursday, which is before we play against Wolves. So we could find ourselves four points behind Liverpool by the time we kick off the game against um, Wolves. Equally, you're see that both Chelsea and Leicester who are above us could essentially they could secure their positions ahead of us by getting three points in the games that they play because then they would then be they, they would then have more points than we could possibly um, possibly gain in our last three games. The Man United Liverpool game not being played last weekend could end up counting against us couldn't it because Man United have got a bit of fi- fixture congestion now and they are yep. playing a couple of the sides that we are cha- we are competing with for a European place in the same, uh, you know, qu- quite close together, aren't they? So that could become a factor. Yeah, no, it, it could do. So Man United aren't on. Hang on, I just hang on, hang on, Gareth. I just have to ask. Milo's just asked if it would become a factor. Are you saying a factor in our potential stumble across the line into Champions League qualification? Yeah, well, not Champions League, Europa, not, not Europa League either. Nearly got you. I nearly got you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely not. No, the the, the point is that we are relying on Man United doing us favours to get take points off Leicester and take points off Liverpool. Um, Equally, we're now relying on Chelsea doing us a favour because really we could do with Chelsea beating (laughs) Arsenal on Wednesday night. Um, Sorry to laugh. This is just brilliant. And then and then they play Leicester next week. Um, Not no, they play Leicester in the cup final. Then they play them again three days later in the league. So really, we want we want Chelsea to win the next two games. This is superb. If you did PE before math, but after English, you put your coat on the lower peg. We are just... We're Gareth, mental. we're not appreciated here. I think we should Aren't do we? a spin-off uh, <laughs> podcast where we go through our spreadsheets and... Um, think, yeah. We'd, on, we'd only get three listeners, but we'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a brilliant spreadsheet, and I. But what I'm what I'm commenting on is our extreme optimism. We're still clawing for 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 not just not just Europa League football. We still believe, despite this setback, that oh, maybe you don't. I still believe there is a way we might fall backwards over the line because there might be implosion. Of course, I don't think it'll happen, but mm. I just think it's a testimony to the spirit of, of all Tottenham Hotspur supporters that we carry this this optimism with us mm. and this hope uh, wherever we refuse to give it up until it yeah. is physically I'd impossible. Say that, that Man United point, though, I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think Solskjaer doesn't really rotate a huge amount, does he? He tends to play his strongest side. And they've got, so they've got Leicester 
on Tuesday, haven't they? And then they've got um, Liverpool on, is that Thursday? It's Thursday. With you know, a day in between, he doesn't rotate a lot. It's difficult It's difficult to see Man United getting through all their remaining games un- unbeaten, isn't it? And yeah. that could, that, yeah, yes. that really plays in against us with Liverpool. You know, they're, they're above us in the table now. They're a point ahead of us, I think, aren't they? Yes, mm. yes, they are. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, I really do think that becomes a factor. Well, yeah, you only have to look at the way that Man City played against Chelsea yesterday, didn't you? You think if Man City had really needed the points for them, they probably would have. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing to learn from this is it's all Chelsea's fault again because they pull out of the European Super League. All of this cascade, <laughs> you know, all this falls out from this. You've got the protests, you know, Man United, Liverpool's game. Basically, the same with everything. It's always Chelsea's fault. Well, it's Chelsea's fault for actually planting in Daniel Levy's head the idea that Mourinho was worth it in the first place. How dare they? And I agree with that sentiment. <laughs> we'll just blame Chelsea for all of our shortcomings and, 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 and failings. Yep. So, uh, well, not just that, um, everything. Everything, well, if everything I, that's if, wrong in the world. Right, right. Yeah. And if I can just be blunt, fuck you very much, uh, Chelsea. <laughs> right uh, on that uh, sharp point I will give uh, some stats for the Leeds game uh, the XG Leeds 2.55 we had 1.03 16 shots on uh, for Leeds 11 shots for us 7 on target for Leeds 3 on target for us X points 2.43 for Leeds to our 0.41 I didn't say 0 once possession uh, 53% for Leeds 47% for us and so 1 positive 1 negative 3 to 1 Milo positive Larice. he was excellent Excellent again. Um, negative bail. You, you asked the question last week about whether um, we should take bail back next season. I don't think he's worth 200k a week if he's only good against the bottom half of the league. Gareth? Um, positive for me is that's the last time we'll wear that horrible green kit. Can you segue into, into next section? And for me, the negative was I felt like I was watching an old VHS of Spurs in the 90s where they travel outside the M25. They, the soft underbelly comes out. They get done up north within 20 minutes by a team that just wants it more than them. Awesome. I'm going to go with the positive. Delhi's return to the fold and very close to two assists, but one, one will do. Negative's quite a big one, actually, for me. You know, Kane, I think we rushed back for the final. He's had three very average games by his standards since then. And I, I'm i taking a pessimistic view that he's his head's not there. I've worried that he's checked out, but he's just not making any impact. I know he had the goal disallowed, but his, his general play, yeah, that's my negative, unfortunately. Positives are that we are that much closer to concluding what I think has been a nightmare season. (laughs) Negatives are that, as you said, Gareth, it did feel like one of those like 90s performances. It really did. And actually it brings me back to the, uh, what I said at the top of the show, the early 90s uh, showing up at Elland Road, dead black cat in the path, you know, Eric Cantona absolutely smashing us. You know, I mean, yeah, it was, it was not totally dissimilar to those days. And uh, so we will leave the, Leeds United game review right there and move on to the second part of today's pod polyester nipple rashes but no it's actually more about (laughs) it's not all about the nipple rash is it it always comes back to your 200 quid shirt doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) I spent 200 quid so let's let's get into the second part of the pod let's talk about our favourite kits and kits in general over the over the decades, over the years. 
you know, we've all got our favourites. We've all got our memories. I think we'll just dial straight into it. And uh, why don't each of you take a few minutes to eulogise your favourite kit? And uh, given the spin, given the spin of chronology, uh, the first person is actually going to be me. So I'm going to go first, actually, today. <laughs> yes. My favourite kit uh, was the 8182 kit, the Lecoq Sportif kit. Um, plain white, cockerel in the middle little Lecoq Sportif on each arm. It had a sheen to it and an iridescence to it. Beautifully simple, just exuded class, worn by, you know, some of my favourite players to have ever worn any Spurs shirt. It was the first replica shirt I ever bought. Um, and uh, Milo had made this point, actually, uh, I think to all of us in the thread that, you know, our shirts are going to reflect uh, the time, you know, our first love affair uh and i think that's very true i mean this was just such such a, a a sexy time and such a sexy kit i mean i remember i remember it coming out the shorts were tight if you remember those uh dark navy blue shorts it was just a perfect kit because it was absolutely everything that the classic kits have been from the, from the early 60s but it had that pizzazz it had a special pizzazz about it and so did the players who wore it and i have to say i still have my shirt from uh, which I bought in 1980. I bought it uh, the I think it's October 1980, and it's kind of held up actually. I mean, it really has. You know, I got it signed by Ozzy Ardiles and so on and so forth. But it's kind of held up. The figure that you know used to wear it is perhaps not so graceful looking in it anymore. But the shirt itself uh, has weathered very well. So a top top notch for quality there <laughs> to the Cox Sportif as well. And uh, they always produced uh, you know high quality kits. So that's that's me. Is that the photo you shared of us, of you playing? So yes. th- that is that shirt? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Milo, you're next up. Uh, and why don't you tell us um, your favourite Spurs shirt and why? Uh, I've gone for 86, 87. Our Chevron Holston shirt. Again, played, you know, some of the best players who ever wore the shirt, wore that. Hoddle, Maradona, Ardiles. <laughs> So, yeah, I think it's looking at the options here, what people's first choices were. I think most of these are probably our coming-of-age Spurs shirts, aren't they? I, you know, I remember Spurs teams before this, but that season's probably the first one where kind of everything clicked and I was following it properly. And, yeah, I think that's that. And I just, it's just great design. <laughs> Did you buy it? No. We'll come on to this, Steph. I don't really buy kits. <laughs> we are going to come on to this later, for sure. I didn't have any replica shirts as a kid at all. We'll be discussing this later, <laughs> Gareth, come in before we get sidetracked onto what will be uh, an intriguing discussion, in my opinion. But come, come on in. Your favourite shirt? I got, well, it's another Holston and it's another Hummel number for me. So uh, Milo just talking about the 1986-87 kit. So the one that I'm referring to was the one that we wore between 1989 and 1991. So I just got into Spurs by this point. The kit that preceded it, so the one in between the one that Milo's just described and what I'm talking about, was a fairly plain one. Um, so I think the one they redesigned it in in 89 it had a bit more blue detail on it so there was a bit more navy um trim on the kits and i associate it with gary lineker joining the club so that was the picture that i saw gary lineker the, the kit gary lineker wore in shoot magazine that i would have got at the time what are my other memories of sort of shoot and match magazines at the time was that's where you saw new kits because throughout the summer mm-hmm. editions of it there'd be a page just of adverts of the different kits and the spurs one was always on there but i think that's where i where i saw it now of course iconically this was the kit that we wore in the 1991 fa cup 
semi-final, which I, you know, which which, which I blogged about as well, and uh, will always reference as my greatest moment as a Spurs fan. So I think I always hold particular fondness for the kit because of that game alone. And I think also it's the fact that I think it was the as a child it was the only Spurs kit that I didn't get. So I think I was always quite envious of other kids that did have it that kit that particular one. And yeah, therefore it's, it's always one that's resonated with me. And in my mind I will always see Gaza scoring that free kick at Wembley wearing that kit and, and, and that's where it sits with me awesome mine was actually Gareth's the uh, the, the Hummel semi-final one but um, I was left to choose my second best which was the 2010 Puma blue kind of diagonal across the uh, the top of the chest. I think as we touched on earlier, I think my reasoning for that is probably it was a coming of age moment, that team. It was our return to top level European competition. We had a hell of a team with, you know, Pete Modric, Bale. And it also got rid of, uh, I just counted, eight years worth of red sponsorship in the centre of the shirt, which I think looks better. Puma aren't as cool as those other brands, but there was just something about that shirt that was trying to do it a little bit differently. It fitted well. And yeah, I I think the, the team back then was something to be proud of and yeah. Coming of age shirt. I think of that as the Gareth Bale shirt. That's I look at that and I think mm. of Bale. Into Milan away. Mm. Let's have a bit of fun here. The worst home shirt. And I'm gonna go first again. Uh it has to be it has to be that uh two thousand and nine uh the shirt that we won at Eastlands in. The piss stains. <laughs> the yellow. Uh yeah, whatever that was, I don't know. But the the one that was uh, I don't yeah. The one that was designed by Braille, maybe. I'm not sure how it was designed or who was responsible, but my word, that was that shirt was an abomination, in my opinion. Yet here I am, uh, inextricably linked with one of my favourite memories. Mm. I think the yellow doesn't often look good. And I think that's part of the reason why I like the one that I chose, the 2010. It was a big mm. jump from the awfulness of 2009. So uh... <laughs> You're not wrong. It was absolutely a quantum leap. And you it gave me a little bit of the feeling, for some reason, of, of, uh, of admiration. Yeah. Uh, the Admiral England shirt from 1980. Yeah, yeah. They they had the panels across the shoulders. We never fully had that. Obviously, we had the um the two Admiral stripes like bars that came off your shoulder. But the England shirt for 1980 had the full the full strip across the shoulders. But anyone else who's who? Can anyone else think of a particularly repugnant kit or a kit they were just like not a chance? Yeah, I, I never got on board with the one we wore actually in the Champions League final season with where it faded into the blue at the bottom. And I thought that looked even worse actually in the European games when we then wore white shirts with it just didn't didn't mm. make sense at all i don't like the thing with different fabrics now so you get plain on the back and then a patterned fabric on the front and or um i mean your 200 quid shirt steph where it's um in bands of color it looked it looked like when it was first released it was a single color and it would be better for that i, I prefer simplicity awesome is there a particularly awful shirt before i go rampaging here I was never a huge fan of that one that we wore in 2007 on the anniversary, the half light blue, half mm. white Puma. I, I didn't like the no, light I'm blue. Could, I'm with you could, right Can there. we have a special word? Disaster. Can we have a special word for some of the stuff, that we, some of the junk we put Ian Walker in? <laughs> <laughs> Baggy. <laughs> Baggy coloured shirts. It was a bad time to be a goalkeeper, wasn't it? The early 90s. Well, I think you have to own that, though, as well. I mean, and Ian Walker was never going to own that, was he? I mean, he was never going to be like Campos, uh, the Mexican goalkeeper, who just owned it. I mean, he was, he used to wear the most outrageous goalkeeper shirts, but he just looked like he was rocking it every time. Ian Walker. Well, there'll be another time we'll discuss Ian Walker. Great servant for the club, but crikey, has anyone ever forgiven him for that little smirk over the the bobble goal that Liverpool scored? I think he played against Canterbury City in 1991. So (laughs) we're uh... we're going. (laughs) 
<laughs> in that shirt? I can't remember. I can't remember. Oh, oh well, okay. Let's talk, let's talk about the sponsors. You know, obviously my shirt had no sponsor whatsoever, so automatically is the best. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the sponsors on the other shirts that have been chosen by you guys, they are all blue. And, of course, we did come out the same year. It might have been the same year or within a year of coming out with the merchandise line Never Red. We subsequently decided to get a uh, a red logo sponsor. Now, are we just getting all het up about this? Is this silliness? I mean, when you look back at our history, there have actually been, there has been traces of red in our crest uh, for quite some time, uh, if you go back in time. But it's not obviously a color i mean i personally don't own any red clothing that's how ridiculous i get about it the only red that's on any clothing i own is a sponsor on a shirt but are we getting silly if we complain about this every year i don't like it on the shirt and i think i'm the same view i was just looking around at my wardrobe which is mainly not in the wardrobe but it's um there's there's no red the floor drobe the uh, the floor drobe <laughs> on the top of the chest of drawers but it's um there is no red not even a pair of socks or boxes no i don't no. don't own it don't particularly like it in the house. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. But uh, but so if you you would you take here we go. I'm playing with Daniel's money. Would you take twenty million, uh, ten million less, and insist on a blue version of a sponsor logo? I would. No firm's going to do that. They're doing it for brand recognition. So there's no way they're going to alter their logo on the on the main shirt in order to keep a bunch of fickle fans happy. You know, it's, it's not going to happen. But if it could. Would you like it? No, I couldn't get less different. I, I don't agree with you a lot about this. I could, really couldn't give a shit about red. It doesn't doesn't bother me in the slightest. You mean as a color? Like as as as, as I mean, you you're, you're you'll happily wear a red t shirt out that kind of thing, or mm, I don't. I really wear t shirts out, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for Pete's sake, a red shirt. It's tough. Uh, it's tough with a pedant. I'm telling you. Come on. Do you wear? Uh, but you know what I'm asking. Do you have items of red? Yeah, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. So you're actually somewhat sane. In that regard, I mean, I consider myself completely rational. I mean, I'm I'm 54 years old, and I I, I still avoid the color red yeah, wherever I, I can. I mean, there's something slightly slightly weird about that, and I accept it. We're counting burgundy as red, I take it. Mm, no, f- I I still drink. I still drink <laughs> the stuff. <laughs> Won't have red wine in the house. <laughs> No, I would. Yeah, actually, no, no, this is a very important determination. I don't believe that beverages count in this in no. this sort of like colour block, colour blocking. I think, I think I you said before, uh, Steph, that football makes a hypocrite hypocrite of all of us. Oh <laughs> uh, well, good lord. That's absolutely right. But uh I think we can see I think alcohol, I think red wine is okay. Red wine is permissible. Uh, the Game is about glory podcast wants you to know that red wine is okay. <laughs> We will not have you up for drinking red wine. However, if you go out in one of Milo's red shirts with one of Milo's burgundy pair of pants, we may very well have to have you up on that. (laughs) Gareth, you've been very quiet about all this. Trace, you think you've either got a steaming great wardrobe of red or you're just like, well, they've covered everything. I know. I'm like you, Steph. No red in my house. I'd never drive a red car. I'd quite happily pay more money not to drive a red car. I don't know, I feel slightly immune to it now. It's 2002 is the first time we had a red sponsor, which was Thompson on the kits. And I, th- I think, you know, where are we? 20 years on from that one. Mm. It's kind of been and gone um, for me now. We should point out, that uh, Gareth, that you're a referee. So if you've got an aversion to red, you'd be my favourite referee ever. <laughs> well, do you know what? I've, I, I had my... I had my um, vaccine jab on Friday and I deliberately didn't referee this weekend because if I had been every decision would have gone to the team playing to my right I, I can't <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. And he would have been giving lots of red cards because your arm hurt. Let me just sum up my view on, on the red sponsor. I, I, I think it is ludicrous to get too head up about it. I mean, if we want to entertain, you know, name players, star players, if we want to be able to keep some of the players that we have and have kept the likes of Harry Kane and so on and so forth, there's little to no doubt that that red sponsor is, is, is a huge part of it. And uh, I mean, it is... I suppose football hypocrisy. I've grown to accept it. I suppose uh, that's that's the long and the short of it. Uh, having said that, I do and I am very careful about you know the home shirts I buy. I haven't bought a home shirt for some time. I do go to the away shirts, and I'd like to ask you now. You know, is it the case with us that we have had a better away kit than home kit? Uh, more often than not in the last 20 years? Do you think that's a fair comment? I, I, I think it's difficult now because we change kits and all clubs change kits every season. It means that there's got to be a degree of innovation every single year. Whereas back in the period we were talking about in the, um, in the, in, in the 90s, early 2000s, you'd only change your kit maybe two or three years. So the one that I remember most affecting is a wake kit was the yellow umbro one that we had that had, I don't know, people refer to it as the bird poo on the corner. But we wore that in four different seasons just because you could wear it, you could wear the same away kit for that amount of time. That's right. So yeah, I, th- I think it's very difficult. And I suppose we're now ventured away from blues and yellows, haven't we? That we're now going into greens and we're going into purples and we've had what we had a, a silver and a black one for some godforsaken reason a few years ago as well so um between the club and and well, our kit manufacturers are in nike at the moment they've got to come up with something new and fresh every year that's going to keep people mm. going into the shop um, physically or online and buying them is there a color that we think would be unacceptable to see accepted as an official club color i personally found the uh the pink of this last season's training kit to be particularly bizarre and I didn't quite understand it and I don't quite understand where it sits in our history but have there been any other I mean you mentioned silver and black that was odd to me that made no sense at all it's like like the Oakland Raiders of N17 I don't think so anyone else think of any colour colours I mean what about the brown shirt no I think brown, brown's, brown brown's a no-go um, I don't mind this season's green actually mm. I was surprised Gareth that you put you said you didn't like that I think it works well with the the bit of bit of salmon on the on the collar green but yeah, and brown. salmon but these are not to- are these Tottenham oh, colours I mean, green and salmon I think a whole salmon kit would be quite good wouldn't it there's something fishy about it Lazio or Juve have done that yeah. Right. Uh, there's something fishy about it thank god we haven't gone there sorry <laughs> i'm gonna stink the place out with these uh anyway let's get back to it that's a, that's a triple whammy but seriously i can't I mean, wait to be these... a dad and make these jokes legally <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna but tell no. gareth how excellent his uh spreadsheet was earlier but i just decided to leave it <laughs> Uh, our listeners should know that James is looking parenthood square in the eye at this point and is uh, trying to quantify uh, what qualifies as dad behavior versus uh, non dad behavior. And uh, it's okay. I'm learning you can from the best. Someone's spreadsheet. You <laughs> <laughs> Crikey. Yes, you are indeed. But um, okay, let's let me ask you uh, have you ever bought or boycotted a product based on a sponsor? And it can be. You know, let, let's look at other shirts for this. Let's look at, you know, rival shirts. And I'll kick it off by saying I did go through a period of avoiding JVC products for, for an inordinate amount of time. That's the one that really stuck out. How about you? Guys? I'm refusing to uh, visit Rwanda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, t- to be fair, that's great placement, though, because you s- every single time they play, I see visit Rwanda on the sleeve. It just it's more than any other. I can't tell you what their main sponsor is on the front of the shirt, but I was that visit Rwanda. 
I mean, that's really ca- catches my eye, and I feel the same. But... <laughs> it's best place to see gorillas, apparently. Wild Actually, gorillas. I would visit Rwanda. Yeah, I would visit Rwanda in fairness. But anyway, sorry, Gareth. No, I, was gonna say, I think so they, they've got the contrast on their sleeve, haven't they? From going from the red shirt to the white sleeve is probably why you notice it. But um, I'm totally with you, by the way. So not only did I boycott, if I was boycott, I was 10 years old. Um, not only did I discourage my parents from buying any JVC products as well for, for much of the 80s and 90s, it was much the same with Adidas as well. And then, yeah, as I said, we're football hypocrites. And once our kits were made by Adidas, um, then I was I was happy to purchase their products again. Samsung um, at the moment would be one I wouldn't touch because of its past with Chelsea. And um, I'm also very unlikely to buy a Yokohama tyre as well, which was offered to me last time I had the car service. And I chose not to go with that. Oh, very nice. <laughs> And a, 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 a tremendous, uh, a tremendous principal stand there. I, I, very good. How many replica shirts have we bought, or do we own? And give me an approximate figure. I'll go first by saying that I, I, I do regularly buy a shirt uh, because I still like to. Well, pre-COVID anyway, and hopefully to come soon. I still like to haul my uh, my fat ass around a, a, an area playing football with people and, you know, imagine that I was Glenn Hoddle. Um, more realistically, best I could ever have hoped for was Mark Falco and even he was light years ahead of any talent I would have ever have had. So uh, I, I am a regular purchaser, usually of the away shirt first, it has to be said. And I do like to buy official. I don't like to buy DH Gate or so on and so forth because I do like to try and support the club. So that's my cards on the table. Uh, let's save the best till last. All <laughs> Awesome. We're going to start with you. I reckon over my life, um, 44 years and 364 days, I've uh, averaged about a kit every decade. And the last one was brought through my love for Rafa van der Vaart. So I'm an infrequent buyer. Um, ideally, I would go original. But if the opportunity arose to, to get one quicker via, uh, via Asia, I'd, I wouldn't have that much of an issue going there. Kits have gone up to an astronomical price, so I think it's baffling how they can be worth what they are now. Okay. Gary? Yeah, I, I haven't bought one for myself since since Under Armour, so that must be going back five or six years. I often buy them and, and don't wear them. Um, but as Awesome will find, um, as a parent, I've now bought one for my son every year with his number of his age on the back of them, so you can see them building up and desperately trying to get him hooked on it. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course... Uh... I did so save the best till last because I find I'm, I, I, we've talked about this offline and uh, he's pursing his lips. <laughs> he's grimacing because he knows that I am talking about him. Milo, confess your sins. I, I've had two <laughs> ever. I had the 90, 1991 shorts, um, which I which lasted for about 10, 15 years. I was playing in those and I had the god awful yellow and blue second shirt that kind of Sherwood kind of mid 90s um that was awful and the last one I bought was the sky blue so I haven't had any classic sky blue kappa one which I bought for I think a tenner in lily whites because I was playing uh, that day and didn't have any kit and I kind of dived into lily whites on my way to uh, I think I was supposed to a knock around in Hyde Park and I was going to dived in there sorry go on excellent no 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 you've segued perfectly into what has to be our round out question for this section because we could talk about kits for a long time and i hope it's a conversation we we revisit in a in a future pod 
Full kit wankery. What is a full kit wanker in your definition and have you ever been one? Milo, I'm going to start with you because you bought a shirt to play in and you have the shorts. So I'm going to wonder if the two met on your body that day and you played. I don't think the two met. And does it count if they're different decades? Yes. Well, I mean, what's your definition of a full kit wanker? Wearing the full kit. It's the one, two, three. Wearing the full kit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I feel dodgy about adults having names on the back of the shirts and stuff like that. So my line on this is, you know, <laughs> way different to anyone else's so no i would never ever 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 well, i'd never buy socks club socks ever i i would never ever wear club shirt and and uh, shorts ever I, I i'm probably in a similar place to gareth I, I my son had the um the champions league final shirt yeah he's a, he's had a, he's had a couple of spurs shirts but um no i it's, it's for kids isn't it <laughs> yeah i thought i first need to jump into it gareth what, is it for kids I, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna protect myself here by saying there's a distinction between wearing kit that you've purchased and wearing kit that you've been given um, mm. and i'm gonna say that because i have worked at the club before and in doing so was given full track suits and coats so people may well have spotted me getting on a train to a game in full Spurs coat, tracksuit bottoms, top t-shirt, club socks as well. And so we are including we are including coaching kit or coaching clothing as part of the full kit wanker pantheon here. I, I think you've got to and yeah. Tracksuit pants are nowhere near as bad as full kit wearing the shorts. If you do the one, two, three of shirt, shorts and socks as an adult, you you you're looking a twat. Tracksuit bottoms in Gareth's situation, I think he could pull it off. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit Liverpool fan, isn't it? I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to tarnish any one club with any of this. I think that's. I mean, the the the, the full kit wanker pictures that I've always seen that are just alarming to me are, are Arsenal and West Ham ones. But I think it's probably because of who we support. Those are the JPEGs that tend to circulate to us. Some of those are saying. Look, I, I confess to wearing the shirt when I play. I am studious about never combining it with anything remotely resembling club shorts. I won't do that or club socks. So I make a very, very big distinction to separate those. But I have to admit, uh, you know, when I go out for a dog walk around here, I do uh, very often have a hoodie and and sometimes a pair of track pants. I have to admit, and it has been done. Uh, different eras, not different eras, different years, but there is a cockerel on the top and a cockerel on the bottom, if you will. So it must be a bit of a wanker. You're a mix and match wanker, aren't you? I'm a mix and match <laughs> wanker, apparently. And what really, really is probably the most astoundingly uh, pathetic, and this is somewhat of a confessional, Those they, they did a, a Nike made a 270 sneaker that was the, mm. the Spurs model sneaker. And I'm like, I can't buy those. Those are disgusting. I won't get them. I won't get them. They dropped to 50% in price they're on my feet right now they are very comfortable but I just I I, you know I suppose I am just a wanker I mean that's what it comes down to after everything that uh, Mrs Ricky has said what a week for him to miss when we finally do have wanker chats (laughs) (laughs) we finally do have wanker chat uh Okay, well, so I don't know. It it, it seems to me that there's. Uh, I have to take you all at face value that you've never been uh, full kit wankers uh, in any in any way, shape, or form. I sadly would probably qualify uh, as having been one by virtue of my uh, my track track suits, if you will. However, that works out. Uh, but let's round this off by saying which other clubs kit do you look at enviously? I think. So back to your no logo, no sponsor thing. So Barca, before they had sponsors, I thought was pretty cool. Um, I like Lazio's shirt. I don't like their fans, but I like their shirts. Um, Anyone else? No, I could say Preston North End, of course, playing Lily White and Navy Shorts. Mm. Probably without a red sponsor. (laughs) And it's where our kit came from. Boca Juniors, home shirt, I like. 
blue and uh, mm. blue and yellow. Is that hoops as well? Depends on the the vintage. I I went once and it wasn't really hoops. It was uh, blue sandwiching yellow in the middle. They tend to have quite cool sponsors as well. It's escaping my mind as to who it was, but um, yeah. And I think Uve Uve sometimes have quite cool away shirts. Uh, yeah. yeah for me it's got to be when uh inter have had black shirts over the years which look really cool i really like those and uh there was we actually had a home shirt that was very similar to what i'm going to describe as well it's when you have a sash mm. like a sash on the front and man city have had a couple of away kits southampton this season have got one haven't they the white have and red yeah, sashes, they've got right? a sash this season yeah that must must be an under armor thing yeah. then, right because they're still under armor are they not i like the the PSG Escape to Victory second shirt last season. That was cool. <laughs> I'd have to look it up. I don't even remember it, to be honest, But um, because Poch wasn't there yet, so I didn't give <laughs> a toss. Um, <laughs> that's the truth. Uh, you know, one more rounding out question, and then we really will round it out. Who do you think has been the best manufacturer we've worked with in terms of modern kit? And we'll keep it modern. Let's let's keep it from, you know, from the 80s, uh, from, from 1980 onwards. Um, for me, I really liked Under Armour as a kit. And I thought it really, it, it really symbolised where we were as a club at the time about that Challenger brand. And I think we progressed so much um, with them as a club whilst they were our sponsor um, that I really felt it fitted very, you know, very nicely. Excuse the pun. I like the Puma ones. Um, I think Hummel, Hummel are the... You know, if you're saying 80s are the cutoff, I think Hummel won the uh, the day in terms of our personal favourites earlier. Um, and the Nike stuff's okay, but it's all pretty generic now, isn't it? Yeah, it'd be Hummel for me. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, and I'll close off with this, I think quality, you know, the Cox Sportif has held up really well. Yeah. Um, I'd say if it's lasted 40 years, you can't argue with that, can you? No, you can't. And so, I mean, <laughs> it, it really is the one that I still hope every home kit gets close to that. And in rounding out, I have to say the look of this uh, forthcoming season's home shirt actually mm. looks quite, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good with it. I like, like going back to simple. Uh, so with the V-neck, know, with the V-neck, gonna... it's not dissimilar to your favourite shirt, is it? I know the logos are to the no. side, but it's not dissimilar, is it? No, not at all. So, you know, Let's hope uh, Let's hope we get some football in that shirt like I used to see the Lecoq Sport T-shirt. All right, lads. Well, we're, we're going to revisit this at some point soon. Um, you know, I especially think that, I mean, I think just for the full kit wankery alone, we'll have to revisit it with everybody else. We need a full on full disclosure from everyone. <laughs> let's round off by looking at the game against Wolves next week. Let's keep it really brief. We're, we're coming to the end of, 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 of the show here. You know, a little observation on Wolves. What do you think of them this season? How do you think they fared? Milo, why don't you start? Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been as good as the um, previous couple of seasons, has it? They've um, they've struggled a bit, but they're a decent side. Uh, they're going to be tough to play against. Um, you know, has them normally sitting pretty deep, and um, they're going to be difficult to break down. Wolves were the last time, last team I saw at White Hart Lane or New White Hart Lane. <laughs> you know, they they beat us, but we were decent in. I think um, I think it's going to be a tough one. Losing uh, losing Jimenez so early in the season was obviously a bit of a devastating blow for them. And you know, until this season, I thought Nuno was a potentially a good option for us as our next manager. But they have they have been erratic this season. Not involved too badly in the relegation, are they? But um, they're not they're not on the fringe of Europe, which is where you'd almost have picked them to be at the at the start. But yeah, I don't see our team changing too much. I'd give Rodon a go, but. 
I think he'll Mason will stick to what he's gone with for the last couple. I think Wolves have definitely regressed this season. I just wonder whether they've maybe come to the end of the cycle and they may be mm. at that, that same point that we were at a couple of years ago where they need to decide whether they back the manager to change things or, or whether they want to they, they want to change the manager. They've got a really good record, actually. We've only won one of the last five home games we played against Wolves and that included when they were a pretty poor outfit when they were up, on, up under Mick McCarthy a few years ago. They've won the last two games against us as um, as home games as well but I do think it's a game where we're likely to have more possession of the ball um, mm-hmm. so therefore I think it might actually be a good game where we want Bale and Son mm-hmm. and Delhi playing around Kane they present different challenges for us but, I, I, but I, yeah yeah I think that's right and a very good point uh, awesome they the injury early doors to their you know, top centre forward is massive uh, they also lost Jota and they also lost uh, they lost Doherty I, a, a huge loss I, I've forgotten where he went but a huge they can loss have him back <laughs> Would you? Uh, all right, this is a fun question and uh, to, to throw out there. Would you? Would you pick him to play against his old team? No. Mm-mm. Excellent. Well, there we go. That, <laughs> my final. Okay. Well, let's just round this one off with you know. We, are you optimistic about this game? No, I'm not. So I was. I was, I was very optimistic. <laughs> I was very optimistic last week after Sheffield United. Now after, so I'm very reactionary at the moment. At the moment, I don't see us getting any more than one point before the end of the season. But that might all change. Wow. <laughs> okay, he's laid down the, the the gauntlet there, Milo. What do you say to that? Well, I think their playing style. So we talk about them sitting back. I think that might play play into our hands a bit and give us a bit more space. And we've got uh, you know a number of players who can um, can can create things at distance so i think that you know if we if we're given that space and they do sit back then that'll help and you know in terms of that question about whether you know it'd be a good you know good managerial appointment for us the fact that he likes his team to sit back i think means that he's out of the running i think there seems to be a consensus that we need to be playing a more uh, you know high energy uh, pressing game and that's not him in terms of how optimistic i am about this game i, I think as i touched on earlier i think the whole kane's headspace is uh, coming to a coming to a peak you know, he if he wants to get that golden boot, he needs to keep an eye on uh, Salah behind him in that ladder. We need him to have a good game. This season's tailing off badly for him, and that that spells trouble for me. But um, be nice to see him get a goal and look happy, and us to keep knocking on the Europa League door. I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. I, I really, I think, um, I think you said it, Gareth, uh, uh, earlier in the pod. Uh, it feels like we're back to that sort of mid nineties or like sort of late mid to late nineties, like Raw Fox era Spurs. We're just not sure who's showing up. You're just not sure what's really going to happen. And I think Milo also made the point via a Jack Pitt Brook story that this is probably a painful and and inevitable step that we have to make to get from Mourinho to whoever the next manager is. So I feel that I'm sort of in this place where I'm just accepting it. Um, I don't know if I'm necessarily enjoying it. I think this is probably one of those moments where as a supporter, you're toughing it out. You know, we're having to eat it now for a little while and I don't really see any particular glory in any of these games. I don't Optimism is a sort of an abstract for me right now when it comes to to Spurs. It's about support and it's about hanging in for what we hope is going to be a a very positive appointment. That's sort of where I'm at. Um, And I will say just to cap off, as for Nuno um, as a potential, I just think the fact that he um, was represented or is represented, I believe, by by Mendes is is just a non-starter. We we just we've stayed we stayed away from that for so long, Mm. and then we suddenly obviously were arm in arm with it. And it really, I think, while You'd never blame him. It's not his fault, but he's systemically part yeah. of what happened in the last two years. So it's. A I no. agree with that completely, Steph. I think it's um, yeah, quite a lot of those signings. It felt like we were being used as a shop window for his clients 
rather than actually <laughs> something that we actually needed. And so it's, it's interesting that um, Vinicius, there's talk of him going to Wolves next season. Um, so that is that is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean I they've been linked. That, they've so. been linked with him before we got him as well. So, but mainly because he's a you know Mendes um, player. But no, I agree. I think um, the whole thing stinks a bit, and um, the further away he is from our club, the better. Yeah. So you know, in closing, you know, I think that you know we just all agree. It feels like we have a consensus that we all agree that this is a time to sort of take it on the chin. Uh, it's been ugly. Uh, it's been unpredictable, and it's this is just one of those rough moments that I don't think any of us expected to be coming. Uh, it's here, and so we get what we can from these games. You know, I would love to see some of our marquee players enjoy their football in these final few games, and I'd love to see that start with Wolves that's why I'd love to see Bale start I'd love to see Harry score in a Ryan Mason team he hasn't scored in a Ryan Mason team yet you know um, I just want these players to enjoy I want to see Delhi further rehabilitated and I'd like to see Reggie get some confidence back so those are things I hope for and I hope to see those happen against Wolverhampton Wanderers thanks very much guys I think it's been a, a, a cracker and as you say uh, <laughs> Mrs Ricky missed the full wanker chat of all time but uh, well, thanks guys cheers. really cheers, appreciate Steph. it cheers cheers Steph great We'll be back next week with a look back at that game against Wolverhampton Wanderers. And in the meantime, if you like what you hear, dig through the archives and you'll find oral treasures to make your drives and dog walks and whatever else you do in your spare time thoroughly wonderful. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow. Say hello. As always, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.